So today we're going to be talking about discernment, discernment, which is a, a really interesting topic. But I found this prayer from Reverend Abby Long on her website, Winding Road, and she begins her prayer with Ephesians 1, 16 and 17, which says, I pray for you constantly, asking God, the glorious Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, to give you spiritual wisdom and understanding so that you might grow in your knowledge of God. So with that, will you bow with me as we pray together? Oh God, we this morning ask for your wisdom to discern your ways and your path for our own lives. We ask for your wisdom to discern how to deal with others we meet, those we live with, work with, shop with, drive our roads with, wait in line with, eat with, and be with daily. We ask for your wisdom in the difficult situations we may have, we may have to deal with as we go through life. We ask for your wisdom when voting. We ask for your wisdom in dealing with injustice in our world. We ask for wisdom for our leaders in our world, our countries, our states, our communities. We ask for wisdom for our church leaders worldwide and local. We ask for wisdom for pastors as they preach your word this morning, as they attempt to inspire, lead, and grow, and help us all to be better disciples. We ask for your wisdom as we reach out to those in need in our communities and in our world. We ask for wisdom as we minister to those who are homebound and those in nursing homes and hospitals. We ask for your wisdom as we minister to those who are sick those who are recovering, and those who are in rehab. We ask for your wisdom that not only enlightens us, but transforms us and guides us in our daily walk with you. And we pray this in the name of the one who is wisdom and power for us, Jesus Christ our Lord. Amen. So as we have been the last few weeks, we have two Bible readings this morning, one from the Old Testament and one from the New. Let's pray before we read this. God, by the power of your Holy Spirit, open our hearts and minds that as these scriptures are read and as a word is proclaimed, we may receive with joy what you have to say to us today. Amen and amen. Our Old Testament passage comes from Deuteronomy 18. Verses 15 through 21, listen for a word from the Lord. The Lord your God will raise up for you a prophet like me from among your own people. You shall heed such a prophet. This is what you requested of the Lord your God at Horeb on the day of the assembly when you said, If I hear the voice of the Lord my God any more or ever again see this great fire, I will die. Then the Lord replied to me, they are right in what they have said. I will raise up for them a prophet like you from among their own people. I will put my words in the mouth of the prophet who shall speak to them everything that I command. Anyone who does not heed the words of that prophet shall speak in my name. I myself will hold accountable. But any prophet who speaks in the name of other gods or who presumes to speak in my name a word that I have not commanded the prophet to speak, that prophet shall die. A word from God for the people of God. Thanks be to God. Let's now turn to the Gospel of Mark, 
chapter 1. Uh, this is verse 21 through 28. They went to Capernaum, and when the Sabbath came, he entered the synagogue and taught. They were astounded at his teaching, for he taught them as one having authority and not as the scribes. Just then there was in their synagogue a man with an unclean spirit, and he cried out, What have you to do with us, Jesus of Nazareth? Have you come to destroy us? I know who you are, the Holy One of God. But Jesus rebuked him, saying, Be silent and come out of him. And the unclean spirit, convulsing him and crying with a loud voice, came out of him. They were all amazed, and they kept on asking one another, What is this, a new teaching with authority? He commands even the unclean spirits, and they obey him. At once his fame began to spread throughout the surrounding region of Galilee. A word from God for the people of God. Thanks be to God. Let's pray. God, as I preach this sermon today, I, I wrote this as I was feeling sick this week. And uh, I pray that somehow through that sickness, you actually showed up <laughs> for once instead of me. That as I preach this sermon, I might hear and we might hear something fresh and new today. Amen. So have you ever heard the phrase, God has a plan for your life? Oh yeah, right? There's probably on bumper stickers somewhere. God has a plan for your life. You know, when I was younger, uh, of course I heard that growing up, God has a plan for your life. And I uh, read the story of the children of Israel wandering in the desert, making their way toward the promised land. And now, if you know that story, uh, pretty quickly after they left Egypt, they ended up at the border of the promised land and they sent some spies to go over and kind of scout it out. Do you remember that story? The, the spies come back and say, hey, look, the, the, the land is great. The grapes are huge and the figs are huge and like there's honey everywhere and it's awesome. But they got these giants. They, these people are like massive. We'll never be able to defeat them. And God gets so mad that the people are unwilling to trust and cross over to the promised land. He says, you know what? This entire generation will never see the promised land. We will wander out here until you are dead and gone, and then your children and your grandchildren will get to go in. Well, I read that story, and I concocted this, uh, this theology in my head that, yes, God has a plan for your life, but it is possible in an instant to thwart God's plan you make God upset, and you miss it, and now you don't get to go on with the rest of God's plan for your life. You just kind of wither away and die in the wilderness, and somebody else will get to go and enjoy those things. And so I was uh, hypersensitive uh, to discerning the will of God because I don't want to miss God's promises. I don't want to mess it up. It was very very hypersensitive about that. And it didn't help that other people around me also believed that. And so, you know, sometimes somebody would bring that up. Well, maybe this is happening because we've missed God's plan and now we can't ever go back to that. And then you're like, oh, is that really true? God, I'm sorry if that's true, if that's true. Of course, now I, I know better. I've been to seminary. Ha! Right? I do think, though, that was part of my my immaturity in the faith, uh, 
take, taking one story out of the Bible and, and, and concocting an entire theology about God from that one story. I, I now know God is not a puppet master. He's not up with a bunch of strings on us doing this. He's not a cosmic cop. He's not, he's not Santa Claus in the sky. You better watch out. You better not cry. He knows when you're sleeping and when he's, he's watching you. You know, God is not like that. Uh, God is not an old man with a beard who's just watching every move you make, saying, as soon as you screw up, you're out. I, I don't believe that anymore. But we've been talking about becoming the people of God, and I do think that becoming the people of God requires discernment, right? Maybe I had gone too far to one side, like everything has to be just right, uh, but we don't want to throw out discernment altogether because there is uh, something to the idea of seeking God and seeking the will of God and seeking God's guidance and see where God is leading us. But I also now know because of Jesus that God knows we're like dumb sheep who go astray every single day. Jesus loved to tell stories about sheep who would go astray. Now, why a sheep would go astray, I don't know. Maybe he looked out and saw greener pastures and thought, hey, maybe I'll go over there. And before you know it, he can't see the herd anymore. But God knows that we're like that. And then Jesus says, and you know what God is like? God is like the one who leaves the 99 safely pent up in their pen and goes and looks for the one. And then brings that one back to, to rejoin the herd. And so now I know God is like that God who goes, the shepherd who goes and looks for the one who wanders off, which is me. I wander off all the time. Our first thing that we read in the Old Testament, it didn't tell us, but God was speaking through Moses there. Moses was the one who was talking. Now this is at the end of Moses' career. He has been leading these children of Israel through the wilderness. Uh, they should have been in the promised land a lot sooner, but, you know, other things happened. They did stay out in the wilderness for 40 years. And uh, Moses is old and Moses is tired at this point, And he is done. He's ready to hand the authority and the reins over to someone who's younger and stronger to take the lead. Uh, but he, he tells the people in this moment, he's giving them some final instructions and he says, you remember that day on Mount Horeb when God invited you up and you all were so scared to be in the presence of God that you said, Moses, we don't want to hear him or talk to him. Uh, you do all the talking instead. Just tell us what God says. And so in that, in that moment, God said, you know, someday I'm going to raise up a prophet just like you, Moses. Somebody like Moses that will speak my words and will tell the people everything that they need to be told. And when that person comes... You tell the children of Israel, I want them to listen to him and to follow him and to do what he says. Here's where discernment is needed, right? How do we know when this guy arrives on the scene? How do we know that the prophet that God spoke of is actually the one? Because a lot of people pop up and a lot of people claim to be a prophet of God. Some of them are legitimate powerful prophets. We have Elijah, we have Elisha, we have Samuel, Isaiah, Jeremiah, Ezekiel. All these prophets pop up and, and seem to be speaking the words of God for sure. We, we preserved their writings to this day. We still read them. But were any of these the prophet, the one that Moses predicted would rise up from among their own people? As these 
prophets were kind of filtering through, sometimes the people listened to them. Sometimes the people took them seriously. Most of the time they did not. So God just sends another prophet and another prophet. Well, by the time Jesus arrives, and by the way, just a spoiler, we think Jesus is that prophet, okay? We, we think Jesus fulfills the one that Moses spoke of. But, but by the time Jesus shows up on the scene, I mean, those days of Moses are long, long gone. I mean, those are ancient stories that they had been reading about for so long. The, the golden days of Israel, long past, they hadn't had a king on the throne for years and years and years. God hadn't moved in powerful ways like he did in the stories that they read in the old times. And so here's this guy from Nazareth, from Galilee, claiming to be the prophet that God has sent. How can they know for sure? How can they discern that this really is the guy we've been waiting for, that he showed up in our lifetime when, when thousands of years have gone by? The same question we might ask ourselves, how do we know when Christ is in our midst? How do we know when God is leading us through the wisdom of Jesus in our day-to-day -day affairs? How can we possibly know that? I talked about Jack Levison a bit ago uh, who wrote that book, and he's going to pop up. You know, Jack, he was my Old Testament uh, professor, and I had a lot of professors in seminary over the four years, and I, and I found all of them inspiring. Uh, they were all very, very smart in their uh, area of expertise, and they knew what they were talking about, and they were able to teach concepts to, to uh, uh, people like me who have a hard time grasping things sometimes. But Jack Levison, I, I told him I was going to mention him this morning, he, he was different. Jack was different. I'd never had a, a professor like him who spoke with such conviction and passion and authority in his area of expertise, which was the Old Testament and, and the Holy Spirit. Man, he, he had the authority to say what he was saying to us. And I sensed that Jack not only knew what he was talking about, but he believed it. He believed it. It wasn't just a syllabus that he put together uh, to, to teach the class and, and check off the list that he did what he was supposed to do. He really, really believed what he was telling us. Not that that meant that everything that he said was right and true, but he definitely made me sit up in my chair a little bit straighter and pay attention to what he was saying in class. In fact, I would credit Jack Levison uh, with teaching me to love the Bible in a brand new way, uh, to love the Bible like I had never loved the Bible before. And I think about the folks in that synagogue that day that Jesus strolled in in Capernaum, uh, maybe had never heard of the guy, had never seen him, didn't know anything about. All of a sudden, this guy shows up in the synagogue and gets up to preach. And they say he's preaching with authority and conviction. He, he's saying something that's compelling. And I, I imagine everybody sitting in their seats, sitting up a little bit straighter, going, Oh, this is not the same old humdrum that we're used to hearing. This is something worth listening to. And this is the first mark of discernment, I think. When you are discerning, when is Jesus in our midst? When is God moving and doing something new? You look for a message 
Perhaps a message that comes in, in, in the form of a sermon or a book or a song or artwork, something that somebody is saying on television, something somewhere. A message hits you and it stirs something within you. It lights a fire in you and you can't stop thinking about it. That might be a good indicator that Christ is in your midst. That the eternal word of God, the second person of the Trinity, is speaking in and through another source and is compelling you to think about things differently, to do things differently. But this can't be the only marker, right? Because history is full of talented speakers who are full of uh, passion and fire. I, I thought about one this week who was able to compel a, a nation of people to do some terrible, terrible things. But he had passion and fire. Hitler. Hitler was a great speaker. Hitler was able to move people with his speeches. So this can't be the only marker for us, but it's the first one. It's the first one. If you find that in a message that you are hearing or a dream that you have or in some uh, music, whatever you encounter, that you, you encounter something that stirs something within you, pay attention to that. That might be a good marker that Jesus is doing something new. But there's a second marker. Because when Jesus was in this synagogue teaching with passion and conviction and authority, a man rose up who was afflicted and oppressed by an inner demon. And Jesus stopped what he was doing and silenced that demon and cast it out and freed the man from his bondage. He had been in chains. On the inside, he had been in chains and Jesus freed him. And so the second mark of good discernment should be fruitfulness. It should be deliverance. It should be freedom. If Jesus is involved, not only is the message compelling, but you should see real transformation in the lives of people. That should be another marker. That will tell you. See, that's what separates Hitler from Jesus. Do you see? Hitler moved people to do horrible things. Jesus moved people to give of themselves, to love others and treat them well. So whenever you encounter uh, inner demons, and I'm saying inner demons because, because we all wrestle with stuff, right? Those are those inner demons that we don't, we don't really talk about, but we don't know what to do with them. We don't know how to get rid of them. When inner demons, fear, anger, self-hatred, shame, when those are silenced, be quiet, is what Jesus said to him, silence, whenever you encounter things like racism, sexism, xenophobia, tribalism, when those things are cast out, man, Jesus is in your midst. Jesus is doing something. Something is happening because we know, first of all, the words move us, compel us. Secondly, we see people being freed, people being changed. And so it's by these two criteria, right? I don't know how long these people in the synagogue sat with Jesus, maybe it was for an hour that he taught and cast out these demons, and then he goes on his way. But it was by those two criteria that day that it says his fame spread throughout the region. They immediately left that service in the synagogue and began to tell people, we encountered something today, something different, something authentic, something real. We think God is moving. 
we think maybe the prophet is in our midst, the one that Moses spoke of. And so I say all that to bring it down to this, as I was thinking about this this week and just meditating and chewing on this, I thought, you know, I think I'd like to offer a, a, a critique and maybe a prediction for the church. And it includes me as one who stands up here and speaks week after week. This, this, does not, this is not a critique for others. This is a critique for myself, and you all get to listen as I critique myself. But here's my critique. We, meaning the church, at least here in the U.S. I, I can't speak for the church in Africa and the church in Europe, but here in the U.S., I, I can speak. I, I think that we have lacked conviction and fruitfulness for many, many years. I think we have gone into autopilot mode. And the things that preachers are saying this morning all across the nation uh, are either um, passionate like the Hitler side of passion, uh, not based in love. It's just like stirring up the bad stuff that's already in people. But the rest of us are just kind of giving humdrum messages. They, they aren't very passionate. They're not very... Uh, conviction-filled, maybe we don't even believe what we're saying, and I think it's no wonder that the fame of Jesus is not spreading throughout the region, right? People are looking for something different. They want to hear something that inspires them. We went to uh, the MLK uh, parade was uh, postponed because of rain on MLK Day, but then it was, it was uh, uh, rescheduled for yesterday, and Brandy invited us to go and ride in her car, which she had decorated with Grace Church on it and blue streamers and stuff. And she was asked to speak at the, uh, you know, at the end of the parade, we met at the farmer's market and had hamburgers and, and several speakers came up and we sang some hymns and prayed. Brandy was one of the speakers, right? Isn't that awesome? And not only was Brandy's speech inspiring, but I thought Martin Luther King Jr. was one of those guys. He was, a, he was a prophet, right? I mean, he was able to move the hearts and the minds of people. People sat up straighter in their chairs when they heard Martin Luther King Jr. speak. And if you were privileged enough to be able to hear one of his speeches, you take that with you, even now. People were saying yesterday, I was just a kid when this was unfolding, but I, I heard, you know, Dr. King speak. Or, it was one of those moments in history. Like, people are looking for that. They're looking for messages of hope, but messages that inspire to dig in and do the hard work that may lead you into dangerous places. You know, following Jesus was not an easy thing. Led people into some very dangerous... All the, all the disciples died. They were all martyred, right? But there was something about Jesus that compelled them. I, I'm willing to give up my life for this man. And I think that the civil rights movement was another one of those places. And, and, and I think we're in another one of those moments. The, the church is in decline all across the board. Less and less people are going to church. And I think that our internal discernment meter is telling us something is off. Something is off. Good preaching is not enough. It's got to it's be preaching with conviction. It's got to be preaching with compassion and belief. 
we have churches that are offering uh, what appears to be deliverance, uh, signs and wonders churches, but at the end of the day, is anybody really, really transformed in those places? You might be attracted to it for a second, but then when you see that nothing's really changing, that loses its luster too. People want to see true liberation. They want to know, I know this person and what they were dealing with, and, and if they can be freed from that, maybe I can be freed too. And so I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to stick in here. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to press in and see what's going on. But my, here's my prediction. I think we're in this moment um, where great change in Reformation is probably coming. You realize it's been over 500 years since the Reformation, right? The Reformation, over 500 years ago. And that's a long time. There was a lot of fire and uh, something new is happening when, when Martin Luther, uh, different than Martin Luther King, Martin Luther nailed his 95 thesis to the door and said, these are 95 things that I think we need to change within the church. It lit a fire in people. Man, something happened. Something happened. Coupling that with the fact that now the Bible um, was being printed up uh, in mass quantities, so it wasn't just a few folks that had it. Anybody could get the Bible, and, and Martin Luther encouraged people to go home and read your Bible for yourself, so now everybody's reading their Bible. All these things culminated in this movement that happened, but it's been 500 years, and I think we've gotten a little sleepy, and I think we've gotten a little bored, maybe. Uh, we haven't seen anything authentic. We haven't heard anything authentic, and we haven't seen anything authentic in a really, really long time. But I think that's going to change. I think that's going to change. I don't know how that's going to change. Uh, I, I don't know who those new voices will be uh, in, in this new movement, but I do think that new voices will begin to pop up on the scene and that we, who have kind of been plugged in this whole time, we've been, we've been going along for the ride because we're dedicated to Jesus. We're still looking for something authentic and real, but but I think as those new voices pop up, part of what we need to discern is who is legitimate and who's not, and who can we trust to follow into this new era, this new place, what church will look like in the next 25, 50, 75, 100 years, right? We it, it, well, we won't, but we'll be here for the beginnings of this, and we can either... Right? Jesus comes on the scene, and he's got some people that are just attracted to him. They just There's something about this guy that's compelling. I want to know more. I want to follow him. But on the other side of that, you had people who were very afraid of this. This guy is not legit. We need to shut him down. We need to stop him. And new voices that come up, same for Martin Luther, new voices that come up, there will be two camps. There will be one camp that says, I don't know what it is about, about what this person is saying or what I'm reading here or what I'm encountering but there's something to it, and the Holy Spirit's telling me to press in. But then you're going to have people on the other side that say, no, that is not the way we have done it. That's not the way that it's done. We are in control. We are the ones who run this whole show, and you are not part of that, and we will shut you down. That always happens. That always happens when God moves new. So here's, here's what our job is. Here's what our task is. Our task is to be good at discerning. Good at discerning. When new things pop up, we had, we had a revival that happened in Kentucky last year. It lasted for, I don't know, 30 days, something like that, right? 
Everybody was wondering about that. Some people actually drove out to Kentucky to see what it was all about. That's good. I think we need that. We need that. We need that kind of stuff that gets our attention. Hey, I heard something was happening in this synagogue in Capernaum, right? I heard this thing was happening in, in Kentucky at, at this college. We need people to go check it out. But we also need to discern well because there's always a plethora of people who want the fame, want the fortune, want to get on the latest headline. They'll say and do crazy things. We need to look at where lives are being transformed. That's a compelling message. That's one. But lives transformed, that's another. And hopefully, here's, here's, here's what I really, really hope, that we at Grace Church can be on the front lines of this new thing that's going to happen. That's what I hope. Not that we're just discerning and supporting, but that we can also be part of what's leading the change in the church. You may look around. You may say, how... Do we get more people in church? How do we, where, where is everybody? What do we do? All the people that are sleeping in in Palestine this morning, they're in bed. This church is not even on their radar. How do we get them in here? I would say, let's pray that God gives us a message that's filled with conviction, passion, and also that God uses us to liberate people in ways that really make a difference in their lives. Really means something. It's not just talk, but they actually find freedom in ways that they never knew could be possible. That's my hope and our prayer. May it be so. In the name of the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. Amen. Folks, as you go out into this world that is desperately seeking a compelling message and real transformation. May the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ, the love of God the Father, and the fellowship of the Holy Spirit be with you all. May you know that you're perfectly loved. You're completely forgiven. God's not holding anything against you. You're uniquely empowered by the Holy Spirit to go out and deliver that, those two things. You are uniquely empowered to go out. But you're going to mess up this week. You're going to make some mistakes. You're going to be selfish. We always do it. But even then, God doesn't hold anything against us. He looks at us and goes, oh, if you only knew you were the best of the best of the best. If you only knew that, if you could leave here believing that, it would change everything. You would have all the power you need to do the task at hand. So in the name of the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, take that good word, believe it, and go in peace.